The scripture today comes from Matthew and different verses from Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I want to begin by talking about Rome. Many of you, if you read, study, um, even watch movies and television, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about the glory of Rome, the glory of Rome. But I don't want to talk about the glory of Rome. I want to talk about the shame of Rome, if you would. Sociological historians, yes, there's a group of people I found out that are historians and they, the history of sociology. They point to two ancient rulings, ancient kingdoms, that were based on or had part of their not part, all of their life, was based on slavery. One of them was the Greek, the other the Romans. Which is interesting because every nation, every kingdom that was around, they all had their parts of of slavery. Everybody had different ones. Many, Many of them were simply slaves that did the agricultural worker or the menial worker. But in Greece and in Rome, especially in Rome, slavery was dominant. Everything, everywhere you had slaves. Every level of society had slaves. They even had slaves who owned slaves. There were slave traders. It was part of their culture. And the slave, well, you know, the the slaves they would get, they would kidnap people. That would cause slavery. Of course, there was warfare, and if they captured a people, they were enslaved. They were, um, if their children in, 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 in infancy were exposed, essentially left in somewhere else, they were enslaved and were slaves all their life. Um, there were uh, slavery that was part of the punishment. If they did something wrong, it was a judicial thing. There was also, as well, what they called debt bondage. Debt bondage. And I often wonder, we understand debt bondage. It's what, it's what the credit card companies do. Debt bondage. We live to pay for somebody else's lifestyle and their marvelous cards. But this, this is, all of this was part of the Roman culture. Slaves became specialists in the Roman culture. So they had people, but they, they watched their slaves to see what they were really good at, and then they helped them to become better at that, but they were still slaves. And as still slaves, they were at the beck and call of the master. 
And the one thing about this was, um, well, two things about this. One was the master could punish a slave without any repercussions. And punishments were often violent, abusive, torturous. They even had a class of citizens that they could hire. If their torture wasn't doing well, they could hire a professional torturer to come and take care of the slaves who were uppity. And of course, the one thing about all of these slaves, they were dishonored. They had no status, no honor. It was a huge shame. Now, I mention that because in the New Testament, in fact, all of the New Testament, everything that we read there is, there's a, there's a hidden background because all of the New Testament documents, everything was written during the time of the Roman Empire, during the glory of Rome. So slavery was part of that. So when we're looking at any scripture... And when we're trying to get maybe a bird's eye view of the overall, one of the things that would become important for us is to understand that surrounding every occupied territory like Israel would be this culture of slavery. Now, that brings us to our scripture passage today. Now, you will thank me. Already you're wondering, how did he pick up those scriptures? Because we jump from the beginning to the end to the very end. And it's like, where's the rhyme or reason to that? I'll get there. But technically, our scripture passage today is the entire gospel of Matthew. So I ask you, am I being more gracious by doing just a few verses or by having Anne read the entire chapter of Matthew? The entire book of Matthew. No one wants to answer that. You'd much rather have the entire book. Okay, I got it. Okay, we're good. <laughs> Matthew's gospel stands there. It's, it's an interesting, it's a very interesting gospel because it starts out, it's the only gospel that starts out with a genealogical chart. And in that genealogy, it's very clear that the emphasis is on Jesus' relationship to the king, to King David. And that becomes important. It's, it's in Luke's gospel as well and all of that, but the king is what's important here. And then from chapter 1, which is, you know, it moves into chapter 2, which is the birth narrative. And what's interesting is what's, what, uns, what really motivates everything that happens in chapter 2 is the wise men. It's not the birth of Jesus, it's the wise men show up. And why does it get everybody rattled? Because their big question is, where is the king of the Jews? We've seen his star. So right from the get-go, there's that. And if you go all the way to the end of Matthew's gospel, in the second chapter from the end, chapter 27... That's where the crucifixion, that's that second piece that we read there. And they have crucified Jesus, and they've answered the question from the first, from the second chapter. Where is the king of, where is the king of the Jews? And in chapter 27, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And then one of the very last things Jesus says to us in Matthew's gospel is, all authority in heaven and earth, is given to me. 
Scholars will tell you, people who study this, when you're looking at Matthew's gospel, your Matthew's gospel, the the emphasis is on the kingship of Jesus and the kingdom of heaven. And so that's a great way to look at this. And that's what I'm asking you to do today. And actually, not just today, but over the next couple of weeks, just to take one more running leap at the Gospel of Matthew. We've been spending so much time at the boots on the ground, which by that I mean we've been going verse by verse by verse by verse. Now we're going to step back and we're going to take that bird's eye view of the entire Gospel. And we're going to see what we can read there to affect to really clarify not just understanding the gospel, but our response to the gospel. That's what we want to do. And it begins with this overview of Jesus, the king of the Jews. Jesus, the king, the king of kings. That's what we're going to look at. Jesus, who at the end of Matthew's gospel has declared that he has all authority. It is his. And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus the king and Jesus' kingdom, it's more emphatic and more explicit than anywhere else in the gospels. So that's what we're going to look at. Now, all of that's good. Today, we're going to look at living under a king. What's it like to live under a king. What's it like? Because the gospel has said that Jesus is king, a monarch. In this case, an absolute monarch. All authority is his. And you can understand that since he is God and the Son of God, since he is that, all power is his too. So all power, all authority is his. And all wisdom is his, and all knowledge is his, and, you know, everything is his, so absolute monarchy. Now, we have, good Americans that we are, an awareness of what life under a king is like. But that's it. We don't live under a king. We're far from that. We may even have a fascination. You may be one of those wonderful things who really had to spend the last couple of months with, with, <laughs> with one of the, one of the, one of the, one of the royals who would be access to the kingship and his recent marriage and all of that scandal. You might have a fascination with all of that. We've all gone through uh, Prince Philip, his death and everything. So, and you might just, it just, but it's only a fascination. It's only awareness. What we don't have, we don't know what it means to live in a monarchy. It's a foreign concept to us. And it's, it's intentionally foreign because even in our Constitution, you understand this, when we, wrote our Consti- when we wrote the Declaration of Independence, when we wrote our Constitution, there was great care given to three branches of our government, the legislative, the judicial, and the executive, because they never wanted again to have much power and authority in one person. And in fact, there was some talk about, you know, who would be this first president? And would this first president be a king or something else? There were some people who were anxious to have 
King George Washington I. But he himself, he was so, so committed to the American, the, 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 this experiment, he said, no way. And so we have a president. Never again will we be under a king or a queen. Never again will we have a monarchy. So we don't even know what it's like to have that. We're aware of it. We're aware of it. And to say absolute and supreme ruler, someone who has all authority, all power, that's, oh, wow. And, and to wake up in the morning and, and your, our total allegiance would be to that king, to that monarch. Our first and foremost thought would be about what is the king going to ask us today? Even if we're way down on the totem pole. Two things I would ask you to think about. The first one will take second. The character and nature of a king. That's an important piece. But the second thing I want you to consider, and we're going to consider it first. I'm doing this to confuse you, to see if you're following me. Who are we? Who are we if Jesus is king? Who are we? Well, the scriptures talk about believers, not often, but often enough. Disciples, a lot of times. Followers, yeah, pretty much. Saints, sometimes we're called. We like the saints thing. You know, that's, that's kind of a good thing. But there's a, there's a, there's a level of names that, that the believers take for themselves. They take it for themselves. They're not assigned it. We like children of God. That sounds good. But there's one, one title, one phrase that really, really gets our, and we're very careful with it, especially translations. But it's always the same word, with one variation, but just always the same word. And the word that the believers, the followers, the disciples of Jesus Christ, especially the heavyweights, like Paul, like the 12 disciples, what they call themselves... You know what it is? It's slave. Remember Rome? Slave culture? They take the title of slave to themselves. Most of your translations, will the one you'll see is bond servant. I, Paul, bond servant of Jesus Christ. I'm Jude, the, the, the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, bond servant of Jesus Christ. You know, they, they take it. And, and, and what they've done, and we don't realize right away with that, is they've turned the Roman culture on its head. Because where in the Roman culture, slave is a sign of dishonor, of shame, of the lowest of the low, of really non-person. And they take this as a title. Now, just so you know, well, I know that there's bondservant, there's servant, there's slave, but, but they're all the same word. And interpreters are quick to say, it's the context. But the context is this. In that culture, slavery is nothing, but they're saying something about this position. Who we are, or who they say they are, and at times they talk about the rest of us bondservants of Jesus Christ. 
Now, most people look at that and they think, well, that's that one, you know, that's the debt bondage. But it really doesn't change the fact that you're a slave, even if it's a debt bondage. In this particular instance, I think they, what they mean by it is not just a, a, a debt because of what was paid by Christ, although it is. But it's more than that. There's something else that binds them to the Savior. Now, who we are then as bondservants are those who are under the authority and the power over our lives. And since it's the language of slavery, not the language of freedom, although Paul talks about we're free in the Lord, Paul has these interesting play on words that he uses where if you're a slave, you're the Lord's free man. If you're the Lord, if you're free, you're the Lord, you're Christ's slave. He plays with that with us. But if you're looking at this concept of authority, we are at the beck and call of a sovereign, of a king. That's what the heavyweights do, individually, collectively. The church, the called out ones, we're we're subjects. How's that? You don't find that in the scriptures, but essentially that's what we're talking about. We're lower class than just subjects of the king. Our loyalty, our obedience, our, 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 everything that we are, our strengths, our talents, our time, our devotion, our respect is due to the king. And if the king wakes up one morning and goes visit us at our house, everything stops. And we come out and we do and we serve the king. Absolutely. Positively, without question. Now we're aware, or kind of aware, of what a monarchy is and was, and all of that. But again, this awareness, you know, this 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 hierarchy of 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 the king and and the subjects and the king and the slaves. There's strict rules, strict protocols, dress codes. Uh, do you know everything that is due to the royal and to honor the royal? We have that. We still have that in our own. Think about the president. Okay, when you if you ever have the opportunity to go meet the president, and this isn't a king. This is just president. Well, you have to get in to see him. You're expected to come and not, not, not be disrespectful anyway. There are things that you can and cannot do. Those who work for the president, the Secret Service, they have a dress code. They have certain things. They have protocols. They have all these rules. Everything's in place because that's the president, even more so with a king. We're aware of that. We're not quite aware of the, you know, um, the, the, the British side of it. But you understand that if you go to Buckingham Palace, there are servants everywhere changing the bed, cleaning the toilets, setting the places, cooking the meals, at getting access to her, serve, people who serve, butlers, maids, on and on and on, all these servants. And essentially, of course, in England, the, the service, being in service, my, my grandmother, her, she was raised because her mother and father were in service. And it meant something, but it wasn't very dissimilar to slavery because everything revolved around there. 
You, you need to go back and watch upstairs, downstairs. You need to go back and watch Downton Abbey. You know, that, that, that distinction about their serving. All of that, that's very like the relationship that we have with Jesus now. Because all authority is his, he's the king, and we're not. Now, there's a danger to monarchy. And we are aware of this. Our own King George the third, the one that we wrote the declaration for, and the one that we declared our independence from England about. We know that this kind of a monarchy is dangerous because if the person who's sitting on the throne is, <laughs> is crazy, and there have been kings that have been crazy, there are still in this world tribes in Africa and the kings and, and, and the leaders are just absolutely insane, but they have this authority and power. So we know that there's a danger to this monarchy. So it's really curious that still in the New Testament, the disciples, the apostles, they identify themselves as we are bondservants of Jesus Christ. Books are written written about it. So that whatever happens in the monarchy, everything rises and falls on the character, action, and nature of the king. Everything rises and falls. Most kings base their rule on power their authority on power. They use it. They wield it. Might is right. Well, other kings came along and they began to talk about, no, there's law and law. And then, but where's the law come from? Well, some of the kings, I am the law, and what I say is law. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? We've sort of had some of that in our lives. Other kings base their, their authority on economics, Others base it on charismatic. They're so charismatic, they will do crazy things. In that sense, a, a dictator like Hitler, who was so charismatic he could rile up everything, could come along and they would serve him as a king. Or, parent, you know, even authority now in our culture is based on leadership and people's ability to lead people. And so we surrender certain rights. We're aware of that. But does that apply to Jesus? That's the question. Because the disciples, the apostles, are coming to Jesus and saying, we are your bondservants. Well, there's the gift of, 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 of life and life eternal. There's the sacrifice that was made. That is part of that. And literally, there is a debt that we owe because he has given us life. He has given his life. But it's more than that. When you read the New Testament, when you read the Gospel of Matthew, those who are writing it, writing it, what they're talking about is someone they have seen and someone who has done an amazing thing for them, but someone whom they love. They are, it's a bondage of love. It's a bondage of trust. 
which you will not find in any other monarchy in this world as long as they're human beings. There is a bondage of trust. There's a bondage, a binding that is, is to this king because, you know, this king taught us that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And then the Gospels, you see what that literally means because he made himself low, even to taking the form of death. And so this king, he's all about what he tells us. This is the king of love. We love him because he first loved us. And in a world that knows monarchs as tyrants, Jesus is anything but a tyrant. Listen to this. this I, just, I, I just was stunned by this, going over this again. Okay, here's Jesus the king, right? And the thing that he says in Matthew 11 is Anything but a tyrant. Listen to this. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. What master would ever say that to a slave? Take my yoke upon you. Right? Learn from me. For I'm gentle, I'm humble in heart. What king would put that out as his number one qualification? I'm gentle and humble of heart. You shall find rest for your souls in this relationship, in this king-subject, king-bond-slave relationship. Now remember, Jesus is not calling us his bond slaves. These are the, the these are what the, the Christians, the followers, the disciples, they have called themselves. My yoke is easy. My burden, my load is light. It's an amazing thing. Now that leaves us just with three challenges, if you would. The first is we've got to know the king. You've got to know what he's like. For I am gentle and humble of heart. You've got to know his love. You've got to know that when he says that we are to be, you know, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you've got to be servant of all. He was servant of all. You've got to know that he would sacrifice. You've got to see how he interacts with people. Yes, he stands up for the truth and for righteousness against those who are arrogant and haughty. Rightly so. He's a champion as well. But with the people, he's that king. And the only way we can get to know him, truly, please understand this, because this is, this is one thing that is up for grabs in the church. It's a shame. It's a horror in the church. The one thing we have is we have four documents, eyewitness documents. That's what they're claiming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Accounts of Jesus. And so we need to become, we need to know, to know that we need to know those gospels. We need to look at him and see what is this king like? They're first-hand accounts. 
Now the horror in the church is now that's up for grabs. Well, they just you know they, there's there's people who vote sentence by sentence. Did Jesus really say that? Well, I don't believe he really did. So they vote by putting colored beads in a basket. If they get enough beads, yeah, he probably said that. Otherwise, yeah, he didn't say that. You don't have to listen to it. Taking away the whole claim of eyewitness accounts. That's what's happening in a church. It should never happen. But part of that is then we should never ignore the Gospels. We should be there in them every day. What's our king like? So the first challenge we have is to know the king, and the best place to find out about the king is in the Scriptures. Start with the Gospels. Move into the rest of the New Testament because it's all about Jesus and all about what he asked from us. The second thing, and I don't know that you're going to be interested in doing this, because this takes a whole reworking of our lives and ourselves. We need to become more and more his bond servants, if that makes you happy. Bond servants versus his slaves. That would mean something like, wake up in the morning, Lord, what do you want me to do today? First thing, because he's king. What shall I say? What shall I do? What would you have me do? Well, wait a minute. (laughs) I I don't have to do that. I'm free. Not just a free in Christ, but I'm in America. We'll talk about that next week. But we need to wrestle and become more and more his bondservants. We need to go through that process where the Holy Spirit examines us. And am I the Lord's bondservant? I've been, honestly, I can tell you over the last couple of weeks looking at this, this has been brutal. I don't like what I'm seeing. I'm, I'm, I'm more of an American than I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now, if that scares you, that's okay. It should scare you. We need to confess where we're not that and repent of it. Because where God is taking us is into this incredible relationship and bondage of love to our King who has all authority. And then we need to ask the Holy Spirit to change us. To break us free of all the things that we understand about what life is like. The third thing that is our challenge and our necessity is to maybe take a bold step, even today. But maybe to do it regularly. And that is to affirm our allegiance. Here's how Paul did it. I, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ... Here's how Peter did it. I, Peter, bondservant of Jesus Christ. Here has all of these persons in the, in, the, in, the, in the New Testament writing letters referring to themselves, bondservant of Jesus Christ. So we need, or I would encourage us, challenge us, to affirm that we are bondservants of Jesus Christ. Now, I haven't left you wandering in your bulletin. Another one of these. Now, this one wasn't the character of a Methodist. This is a covenant prayer in the Wesleyan tradition. But as we read it, 
it captures in the usual kind of genius that Wesley had, it captures this whole thing about the monarchy and being in the right relationship with a king, with our king, Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me this prayer. You can, you can bow your heads. That makes it easy. But I would ask you to read it with me, and that means you have to keep your eyes open. Okay? And we're going to pray this to conclude this. To begin this affirming of our allegiance that this is who we want to identify ourselves as. Let's pray. Repeat, repeat with me, or say with me. I am no longer my own. I am yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low by you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.